Aren't we blessed? Amen. Let me say that one more time. Aren't we blessed? Amen. We are really blessed. We are, we are greatly, greatly blessed. Um, I, I want to make note, uh, Dave's not here right now, but in the earlier service, Dave was here. Dave's going to be um, leading that group on evangelism on Sunday nights during Heritage University. Um, if you've ever wondered, questioned, desired to know more about how to share your faith, and you were looking for some tools, man, I would love for you to be a part of what Dave is doing. Dave is a, an ordained pastor. He is a missionary, an evangelism uh, pastor by trade, and he is a does a great job of, of not only knowing the word. Uh, he and I have had opportunities to share Christ together in, in multiple venues, and I promise you, you will enjoy your time with him. Sign up for that on Sunday nights coming up. They'll be beginning next week. And then I want to say something about Jen uh, in Samaritan's Purse. Um, it is a privilege to be a part of what God is doing around the world, not just here in the city of Fruitland Park and surrounding areas. Amen? There are a lot of things that are happening. Dan and their involvement in, in uh, Liberia and what's taking place there, shipments going out. There's a shipment going out tomorrow to Haiti uh, that Jeff and his team are, are working on um, for tarps and other things dealing with some tragedies that they've had there. Uh, I got word it was on the I was on this morning with, with India and what's taking place there. We are just blessed to have the privilege in Samaritan's Purse and what goes on with those shoe boxes are just another venue. They're another tool for us to be able to have influence uh, in the world around us and share the gospel. And so I know we do it as families, and I know that uh, individuals, families, you guys get together and we do shoe boxes. But let me say this. If you're looking for something to do during the holiday season with your business, uh, with your civic group or whatever you may be, maybe you're a group of students and you, you've got a club at school, there, it's a great way for you to involve people within your, your, your influence, your realm, uh, for you guys to do some shoeboxes together. And so I want to just put that seed out there. Um, it doesn't have to be what happens here just as individuals, but you can take that out and it have an opportunity to have influence beyond here. Does that make sense? So if that's you, whatever that is, wherever that lands, man, listen, I just want you guys to know that you have the opportunity to do and to participate in that in that type of, uh, in that type of way. Um, they did a survey and it was taken of people that were 90 years uh, and older near the ends of their life. And the question was asked, if you could live your life over again, what are some things that you might do? And at the top of that list, there were some answers. Uh, one of those answers um, at the top was, I would reflect more. That's number one, not in that order. Number two, I would risk more. And the, three, the third one is, um, I would participate in some things that lived on after I was gone. Okay? So you got that? If you were to summarize it, basically what they were saying, I wish that I would have lived a life more purposeful and intentional. I think we can say that. It made me begin to think about some of the conversations, Jackie, that I've had with people over the years, especially we're at that place in life. And you know, I've never met anyone that was a believer that, that at that stage in life they said, you know, I wish I would have waited longer to, to make a decision for Christ, but just the opposite. I've met multiple people that said, I wish I would have given my life to Christ sooner. I don't know about you and where that sits, 
But I, as I go back to what, what Paul had written in Romans up to this point, here's Paul. Um, he had already shared with them why he was looking forward to coming to them. And he's writing this letter. And up until this time, up until last week, he'd been talking about all this bad news. Listen, man, you guys are a mess. Uh, you don't have it together. I want you to know that you're all sinners. And as a result of your sin, you all, we all deserve death and hell. Um, God's wrath. You deserve God's judgment. But last week we saw a changing of the guard of going from the bad news to the, hey guys, I want you to know that even though there's this bad news that God has done something that to rescue us, that he's not left us all alone, but he's done something. We can't be saved by the laws, but God did something that only he could do, providing his son as a sacrifice for our sins so that we could be saved. There was an alternative and so we saw that last week. And here's Paul writing this letter to these believers that were at Rome. And I know what Paul is thinking. They're, Paul's writing thinking that they're going, um, okay, I, I know you're, you're kidding me, right? I mean, and Paul to say, to, to sort of validate what he was saying, no, guys, I'm not really kidding. This isn't something that I've made up. This is not something that I've invented, but he went back to the writings of Moses and also the prophets of the Old Testament to prove and to provide support for what he was saying. And so here's the Jews believing that God had chose Abraham because he was the most righteous person on the planet at that time. But he wasn't just the father of the Jewish nation, but he was also the poster child for Judaism. And so we're going we're gonna to begin today, and we're going we're gonna to be in chapter 4 there in the book of Romans. And what Paul is going to do is he's going to take the testimony of Abraham, slide in there, David, just a little bit to prove that what he's been talking about, that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. And so we're going to begin there in chapter 4. And if you would read along with me today, and I just want you to write down this. This is maybe a first point, Abraham's faith displayed. And this is what Paul wrote as he was writing to the believers there in chapter 4. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds made him acceptable to God, he would have done something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us that Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his, his what? His faith. When people work, their wages are, are, are not a gift, but it's something they earn. But people have, are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their, there's that word again, what? Faith. People accounted as righteous, not because of the work, but because of their faith. It is God who forgives sinners. David also spoke. He brings David into the picture here. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who were declared righteous without working for it. And so let's begin talking about this morning about Abraham's faith being displayed or on display. So here's Paul looking back to the life of Abraham. He's in his late 80s, probably 86, I believe. We find in the story of Genesis chapter 15, God says, okay, Abraham, let's go, take a, let's go out and take a walk. They're having this conversation somewhere near nighttime. God says, Abraham, I want you to look up in the sky. What do you see? Oh, God, I see some stars. Well, how many stars do you see? Well, I see a lot. Well, how many? A lot. Abraham, I want you to know something that just so the stars in the sky are, I want you to know that so your descendants will be. And the Bible says that Abraham, he doubted God. Is that what it says? No, what did he say? He said he believed. He believed God. Even when it seemed impossible, Abraham chose to believe what God had to say. And Abraham wasn't a young man. I mean, look, here he is, 86 years old, no children. 
And yet God was saying, even in the midst of this, at your age, I want you to know that your number of descendants in the days ahead are going to be like the stars in the sky. And even as crazy as it was, and as impossible as it seemed, the Bible says that Abraham believed and God counted it to him as righteousness. By the way, you know, the next time that you're struggling and you're doubting maybe what God is capable of doing, why don't you just walk out into the night sky and look up into the scars and remember the promises of God. In the book of Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12, this is what the scripture has to say. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales in the hills and the hills in his balance? I'd gone up to my parents last week with Caleb and I went up to celebrate some birthdays and and. And I don't know if you guys remember, we had a huge cold front come through last week. Did you remember that? <laughs> what are you laughing about? You know, it was funny because I think there was like a degree difference, but that's a big deal. You know, from, from 70 to 69, I mean, that's like a cold front. But up in North Florida, where we were, where we were uh, I walked outside and it was 56 degrees. It's great. It's awesome. I thought to myself, maybe I need to stay for a while. This will just stay. But as I walked outside, I looked up into the sky, and man, the sky was just lit up with stars. And it had been a while since I'd seen that. It's like the first little cold burst, cool burst. I remember what it was like out west when we were out west, and we would sit at night sometimes just to look up in the stars, and the sky was just loaded. You know, and, and that incredible sight I don't know how many, I mean, how, how much you know about the stars and our sky and our, and our galaxies and all that kind of stuff. I had a NASA nerd in here with me earlier, and that's Mr. Mark Manjuri. He's just a smart guy. He worked with NASA, by the way. And, um, but I, I learned some things this past week in reference to the stars and the sky and our galaxies. Our, the name of our galaxy is what? The Milky Way. You know, they say the, the size of the Milky Way is... Uh, is 10,000 light years wide by 100 light years long. Now, I don't know if you know how, how long a light year is or a mile or whatever it is, but 186,200 and something light years, uh, miles per second, is that what it is, is a light year? And, and so it said you can travel around the earth seven and a half times in, in one, one second going that, that speed. You can go from here past the moon in 1.5 seconds. You can make it from, the, from here to the sun in 8 minutes and 32 seconds, but get a load of this. To get from one point in our Milky Way to the other point all the way would be 100,000 years time. If that's not even enough, I want you to think about this for a second. We don't have just one galaxy, not two galaxies, not three galaxies, but they say billions of galaxies. Some even say as many as two trillion. Can you imagine the vastness of God's creation? And yet here the writer says that God holds it in the breadth of his hand, which is the distance between his thumb and the finger. God holds it like this. Isn't that incredible? We serve an incredible God. And in Genesis chapter 15, it says that Abraham believed God. That word believed uh, in Hebrew is a word, Iman. It's, it's, what, it's what Richard finished up. Is there anything you want to say? He said, amen. Amen, I believe. So be it. 
And look at it this way. Here's God saying to Abraham, I want you to look up and I want you to count the stars. Can you do that? I want you to know that that's how many descendants that you're, you will have in the days ahead. And the Bible says that Abraham believed that he said, Amen. And the scripture says that it was because of his belief that God counted him righteousness. He wasn't counted righteousness because of what he did, but because of what he what? He believed. Paul goes on to write in verse 3, for the scriptures tell us, and then he quotes from Genesis chapter 15, uh, verse 6. Abraham believed God, and, and God counted that word. That's a good word to underline. God counted him as righteousness because of his, his faith. Here's Paul. Paul's writing in the Greek, and he, and, he, and he uses this word in the Greek, counted logizomai, which means it's a banking term. It means to count or to, to place a count to. It means one person takes something that they have and they put it in another person's account. And so we have a picture of Abraham standing there. He is spiritually bankrupt. He is depleted. But as soon as he trusted God and he said, I believe, I believe, God credited Abraham's account. God didn't say, you know, Abraham, listen, I'm glad you're starting to see things my way. Now, now that we're at this point, there's a little bit more that you're going to have to do. Okay, so let's talk about circumcision. Let's talk about baptism. Um, let's talk about attendance and all these other things. That's not what happened. But right there, the declaration of his belief, God said to Abraham, I consider you righteous, not because of what you have done, but because of your faith. And what we see is Abraham's primary response, that response that he had at that moment in time became an evidence for those of us that are sinners, that we can be made right with God, not because of what we do, but because of what Christ has already done in our faith in him. And we have to remember, listen, we've got to go back and be able to take a look at when Abraham believed God, the law wasn't even around at that time. As a matter of fact, Moses, I mean, we're talking several hundred years out, and circumcision hadn't even been instituted. Look at what he says there in verse 9 through 11. Now, is this blessing only for the Jew, or is it also for the uncircumcised Gentiles? Well, we have been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. But how did it happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised? Or was it because he was circumcised? Clearly God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Think about, think about the baptism experience that we saw today. Was Richard declared um, righteous today because of his baptism? No. No, not at all. He was declared righteous when back him when he said, I believe. I've trusted to Christ. Same thing with Otto. Circumcision was a sign, was a sign that Abraham already had faith. And that God had already accepted him into his family and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised. They are counted as righteous because of their faith. God had made the promise to Abraham. Here he was, 86 years old. It would be another 13 years before Abraham would be circumcised at the age of 99. Talk about a bad day. My goodness gracious, at 99 years old. But what I want you to see is that Abraham wasn't circumcised, is that he wasn't circumcised until after he believed. But his belief came first. So here you've got Abraham, this old man, having God having him look into the future with the promise of children after a life full of barrenness. 
I mean, year after year after year of no children. And Abraham's response to God's statement was, I believe. Amen. Skip down to verse 16 with me, if you would, please. You can look here at Abraham's faith described. Verse 16 says, though the promise is received by faith, it's given as a free gift. And we all are certain to receive it, whether or not we live accordingly to the law of Moses. If we have faith like Abraham's, for Abraham is the father of all those who believe, that is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. And so here's Paul describing something that he, a principle that he would also mention in his letter to the church at Ephesus when he would write in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. God saved you by his grace when you what? When you what? Believed. Man, I want you to focus in on that today. I want you to focus in. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that you do. So none of us can boast about it. You know, when we place our faith in Christ, here we are, adopted into God's family, a family line that goes all the way back to Abraham. And just like Abraham couldn't do anything to, to gain salvation, it's the same thing with us. It's a free gift. It's not something we deserve, but it's, it's a free gift for every one of us that are willing to trust and receive Christ. Romans 10, 9 and 10, Paul would say this a little bit later on. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and, there's that word again, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by, oh my goodness gracious, here it is again. For it is by what? Believing in your, in your heart that you're made right with God. And it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. But believing is just the beginning of the journey, isn't it? See, it's all that other stuff, all the other actions, all, the other, um, all, all of the attitudes and other things that follow that, is, that validates that which we say we believe. And we said this last week. What we believe affects how we live. Very much so. Lifeway did a, uh, a survey, and the survey was in reference to salvation. I don't know if this were professing believers or not. But this is the survey. 77% of the people that they surveyed said that they believed there was something that they must do to contribute to their salvation. 77%. 52% said that they believed that their good deeds earned them a spot in heaven. Maybe that's why in talking with people about their relationship with the Lord, sometimes what they say, you know, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? If you were to die today, do you know where you'd spend eternity? And sometimes the responses are things like, well, I go to church. I'm a member down at so-and-so. Well, you know, I'm, I haven't missed church service in so-and-so long. I, I, I serve in the children's environments. Or I, I work over here, I do this. I mean, we always go back to things that we do, not necessarily those things that we believe. And so it was Abraham's faith he, that pleased God, not because he obeyed the law, but be, not because he carried out certain religious uh, practices or rituals, but the promise of salvation came to him 
as a result of faith through God's grace. And we know that grace is this. We say this all the time. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what it is. God giving us something that we don't deserve, but he chooses to give it to us anyway through his son Christ. It was at the expense of Christ and what he did on the cross that we received that blessing. Can you imagine what heaven would be like if, if it were it was a, a pay-your-own-way type of situation? Can you imagine what heaven would be like if it was built upon our, our, our works? Can you imagine how crazy that would be? Well, I can sure tell that you didn't do very much. You know, think of all the conversations that would be going on, but it's not that way. I mean, all of us are in the same boat. If it wasn't for Jesus, where would we be? Amen? Yet how often do we not act that way? How often do we act that, man, God ought to be, God ought to be really happy. Look, he gets, I get to be part of his family, but look how good I've been. Look at all the things that I've done. God ought to be really pleased with me. No, we all are sinners by nature and by choice. If it wasn't for God's grace, where would we be? All are in the same boat. All of us are in a pickle. Let's lastly look at Abraham's faith inspected. Abraham's faith examined. Let's look at it in the detail, verses 17 through 21. And I want to point out some, some different points, maybe four points as we move towards ending today. First of all, I want you to write down, Abraham believed that God could do anything. Look at what he said back there in verse 17. That is what the scriptures mean when God told them, um, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in God who brings the dead back to life and creates new things out of nothing. To, pray, to, to paraphrase, Abraham believed that God was large and in charge. See, what he did is he brought God into the equation. But if you're like... Me, how many times when I encounter problems do I try to work out those details on my own? How many times do I try to fix it? How many times do I try to figure it out? And if I end up able to make sense of things and it's logical to me, all of a sudden, it, 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 then I'll choose to believe. But what about those times when it doesn't make sense? What about those times when it's not logical, when it doesn't seem to be possible? And here's Abraham in his late 80s. I mean, this guy's not 25 or 26. I mean, he's in his late 80s. Didn't have any children. Been barren for a long time. And God said, okay, it's time, Abraham believed. And though it seemed impossible, he believed that God could do anything. How many times do we take those things that we can't comprehend or we don't understand and we place those same limitations on God? Does it make sense? And we think, well, because I can't figure it out, it's above God as well. So here's God telling Abraham several times over and over and over again, listen, I want you to understand you're going to have a son. And this conversation, one time he has it near the end, and it's, it must have been a really loud conversation, or Sarah must have just been really nosy, wanting to know what was going on. But she overhears the conversation. And she hears what, what God has to say, that you're going to have a son. And what did she do? She laughed. <laughs> she laughed. I don't think it was a sort of like a, a funny laugh. I think it was like, oh, yeah, really, right? You know, and here's God. What was that? Abraham like, don't ask me. I don't know. That was her. And what, if you remember what God said in Genesis 18, is there anything too hard for the Lord? It's the same exact thing that would repeat it in Jeremiah chapter, chapter 32 when the Lord speaks to Jeremiah saying, I am the Lord God of all the peoples of the world. Is anything too hard for me? 
You know, it's really important we recognize who we're talking to. It's really important that we recognize the significance of who we're praying to. Back in in Acts chapter 4, there was a story. Maybe you remember, you can go back and look at it, but there had been a law that that had been brought about that nobody could speak the name of Jesus or talk about the name of Jesus in Jerusalem. If that happened, they would be arrested. They would be persecuted. And as a result of that, the people got together, they assembled to pray, but they, it, wasn't a pray, it wasn't a prayer in fear, but it was a bold prayer. And this is what they prayed. O sovereign Lord, creator of the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them. <laughs> that's, that's a big deal. They knew exactly who they were praying through. They knew exactly what God was capable of. And in light of who God was, they made a request that only God could answer. I mean, but how many times do, do we face circumstances in life that hinder our view of God? We're in the midst of something, but because of this, it hinders our view. I'll give you a little other facts. I, I was reading the sun is 864,000 miles in diameter, which is 109 times larger than the size of the earth. And so you've got the sun that is so big, but have you ever been out in the daytime when the sun is shining and you put your hand up? to cover the sun. It's amazing that here our hand, as small as it is, can cover the sun, which is so large. Think about that in reference to our relationship with God, Kevin. How many times do the circumstances of life that are close keep us from seeing the power, the majesty, and the glory of our Heavenly Father? It's all about proximity. And here's here's Abraham in the midst of what he was facing, deciding that God could do anything. Second of all, Abraham believed that the circumstances aren't everything. As difficult and as confusing as the circumstances might be, the extent of those circumstances do not have to control our decision-making. Look at what he says in verse 19. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. Yeah, right. (laughs) And Sarah's womb, he adds there. Can you imagine that visit to the gynecologist? Doc, I need a pregnancy test. Oh, you do. Why in the world would they even begin to think that this was possible after so many years? Now, let's take a break, and I want want you to hear something. Don't you dare miss this. This is really important. So... Abraham was 86 years old when God made the promise to him. But that really wasn't Abraham's name. His name was what? His name was Abram. I don't know if you know what Abram means, but the name means exalted father. Can you imagine how embarrassing it would have been to be walking around the community? People saying, hey, Abram, how's it going, pops? How many children you got these days? Can you imagine how humiliating it would have been at that time for Abraham? Here is his name that was so significant. And I don't know about you. I would pray for those of us that have names. I'd go back and see what your names mean. Our children were names. There were very significant names that were given to them. Very intentional names. In the Old Testament, throughout the scriptures, we find out where names were very important. They were very significant, that had significance. In reference not to just who they were, but who they wanted them to become. But to make it worse, here's 13 years later, after God had made the promise to Abram, here's God still saying, hold on, it's going to happen. Just be patient. You're going to have a son. But listen, hey, 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 
Abram, listen, before, we, before this all happens, though, I'm going to change your name again. I'm going to change your name. I'm going to give you a new name. It's going to be Abraham. No longer you're going to be called Abram, exalted father, but now you're going to be called Abraham. By the way, it means father of the multitudes. <laughs> okay, God. Are you serious? All right. A new name he was given, regardless of the circumstances that he was in. But at that moment in time, Abraham wasn't thinking about the frailties of God as much as he was the faithfulness of God. One commentary says, and I love this, natural impotence is nothing compared to divine competence. In other words, the circumstances, what may be going on in the midst of our life at that moment in time does not have to control our decision making. Think about the things that you might be walking through right now and the decisions that you are making based on your circumstances. But those circumstances do not have to control your decision making. The third component of Abraham's faith was this. The challenges did not deter his faith. In verse 20, he said, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew even stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. Waver means to question. Some of you may say, well, hold on, Sid. I mean, come on now. I mean, if I read the story of Abraham and I go back to the book of Genesis, it looks like over and over again that Abraham was up and he was down. He was up and he was down. It looks very much much like he wavered in his faith. I mean, in Genesis 15, we see where he's 86. God says, look, bro, you're going to have some kids. You're going to have a bunch of them, the multitudes. Abraham says, amen. I believe you, God. Chapter 16, Sarah says, look, this thing doesn't seem to be working out. Maybe God has forgotten us. What you might want to do is you might want to take Hagar, my, my handmaiden. You might want to have a child through her and, because I've been barren. He might be that son of promise. Nine months later, Ishmael was born, you may remember. So Sarah had this idea, Abraham, it's always the woman. You understand that? Think about that. Now, I'm not trying to say anything. I'm just, I'm just pointing out what Scripture has to say. That's it. Boy, did I just cause a lot of problems. I'll get some text on that one. Um, I know it's coming. I, I know. Here's God saying to Abraham, look, buddy, man, the promise hadn't changed. <laughs> You're going to have a child. And, and, and Abraham said, well, I've got one now. His name is Ishmael. He was born through Hagar, uh, Sarah's handmaid. And Abraham said, God, this child can be the son of promise. And God said, no, 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 Abraham. I, I told you that this Sarah's going to have a, a son. And at 100 years old, the promise was fulfilled with the birth of Isaac. And you might say, well, it seemed like Abraham wavered, wavered. And my response to there's a difference between struggling and wavering. It's not the same. Because every one of us are going to wrestle and we're going to struggle with our faith. But it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to waver. But you know what happens in that struggling and that wrestling? It's in those times that our faith, our, that, that our faith in that time, our obedience in that time leads to spiritual growth. The great preacher Billy Sunday said this, we have a God who delights in the impossibilities. I mean, do you ever think that God sits down and gets stressed over stuff? Think about that. I mean, I, I wonder if God right now is stressed about well, you know, we got COVID and we got, you know, all this political stuff going on and we got this going over here in this side of the world and this side of the world and this going on and God's like going, 
man, I just don't know what to do. No, it's not that way. Where does faith begin? Paul said it in Romans 10. That's so faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ, which takes me to the last characteristic. Abraham believed that promises mean something. Romans chapter 4, 21 and 22. He was fully convinced that God is able to do what he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God had counted it to him as righteousness. God said, if God said it, I believe it. And that settles it. That's it. I mean, if God said it, I believe it. And that settles it. So the words of that old hymn, standing on the promises of Christ my King through eternal ages, let his praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing. I'm standing on the promises of, of God. Standing on the promises I cannot fall, listening every moment to the Spirit's call, resting in my Savior as my all in all. I'm standing on the promises of God. Second Peter, it says this, Second Peter 1.4, and because of his glory, and because of his glory and his excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. You know, there are a lot of people that I go back and I, man, I just love to, to read stories about various people from a faith perspective. And I, I love to read things in the past that God has done that people say are just impossible. I mean, I love to, to read those stories and go back and go, Wow. Incredible. One of the one of the, the guys that I love to read about. He's a he was a, a an evangelist. He was a missionary. He was best known as a pastor teacher. But more than more than anything, he was known for his his work in in adopting in, a, in adoptions and and bringing in kids that were orphans. And so he he had these orphanages, and it was his practice over the years that they he and his wife would pray. And there were many times that that. What seemed to be impossible, um, they would just get together. They didn't tell anybody. I mean, they didn't put out on Facebook, I'm having a tough day. You know, they didn't, they didn't, I have a specific need. They just prayed. That was their, that was what they did. They believed that God was faithful, and so they were faithful to pray, and they believed that God would meet those needs. And story after story after story is told of how God met those needs exactly as they prayed. One of them was one night, lots and lots of kids in this orphanage. The wife says, honey, what are we going to do? He says, I don't know. He said, we don't have any food. Well, don't you think you need to go find something? No, no, what we need to do is we need to pray. And so they prayed. They prayed that night, the night before. They had no food, no food at all to feed the children in the morning. In the middle of the night, knocking at the door. It was the bread man from down in the city. He said, I am so sorry to wake you up. I know it's late into the night, but I, the Lord just woke me up in the middle of the night and told me to start making bread, and I've brought bread for you and all the children for in the morning. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? Oh, but the story's not over. Well, honey, what are we going to do about, what are we going, what are we going, what about milk? We have no milk for them to drink. I mean, we got bread to eat, but there's no milk. You know you've got to have something to drink. I don't know, honey, we're going to have to pray. God will have to provide. Next day, breakfast, 
you know, I'm so sorry to come to your door at this time of the morning, and I, I don't really know what to do, but my, my milk buggies broke down outside, and I've got all this milk, and, and it's going to spoil. Is there any way that you would be able to take it off of my hands? <laughs> I need that kind of faith. I, I, I need to have that type of faith that, that I don't have to talk to anybody about what's going on, but I can, I can knock on the door of my Heavenly Father and I can approach Him knowing and believing that He is faithful and just to do everything that He says He'll do. Abraham said, Amen. When Abraham said, Amen, he believed. And when he said amen, what he was doing, he was cashing the check before it ever arrived. See, I don't know, if you're like me, I'm going, hey, don't count your chickens before they hatch. How many times you said that? But when Abraham said amen, I believe, he was saying this is, this is good as a done deal. It's a done deal. The writer Nancy Spiegelberg wrote this, and, and you need to copy this. I, I hope we've got it on the screen. You need to take a picture of this, but I want to read it to you as we close. She wrote in a quote, Lord, I crawled across the barrenness to you with my empty cup, uncertain in asking any small drop of refreshment. If only I had known you better, I would have come running with a bucket. <laughs> Romans chapter 8, 32, Paul would write, since he did not spare even his own son, but he gave up for us all Gave him up for us all. Won't he give us everything else? See, this is, this is what I say. Have you ever thought that what you happen to believe about God will determine your next move? Circumstances, they won't make or break us. But what they will do, they will expose the absence or the presence of our faith. Do you know Jesus? Or do you just know about him? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you know without a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, where you would spend eternity? See, our salvation isn't based on what we do. It's based on what we believe. What we believe will affect how we live. Isn't that right, Jim? Amen. Would you pray with me today? As your heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, people listening online as well as here in this congregation today, this is what I know. For some of us, this is a great word of encouragement, just a reminder of the God's faithfulness. But today... It also might be a, a word to some of you reminding you that regardless of what you do, that our works, our works, our efforts are like filthy rags. Nothing that we will ever be able to do will earn our way into heaven, but only what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago when he gave his life, when he became the lamb who would be sacrificed once and for all for the sins of the world. Today, if you don't know Jesus, what is it that keeps you from making the most important decision of your life? The Bible says what's needed, number one, to recognize that we're a sinner. Number two, 
to believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross for our sins. And number three, make a commitment to live to Jesus. That's what it is. And if that's you today, right there where you are, you have the ability to say, Jesus, will you forgive me? I am a sinner. Jesus, I want to place my faith in you. I want to trust you today. And if that's you, man, I would love, we would love as a congregation to be able to, um, to walk alongside of you in this journey of faith. We, we, would, we would love to, to talk to you more about what a faith, what faith in Christ looks like as you begin this new journey in Christ. Would you just be willing today before you leave to see myself or just to write on one of those pieces of paper in the back of the pew, just put it in one of these boxes at the door and say, I want to know Jesus. I want to give my life to Jesus so that we can continue this conversation after today. Father, I pray for us that as we leave this place, we would be encouraged. Help us to be reminded that it's not what we do that makes the difference, but what we believe. If what we believe is true, it will completely, radically impact what we do and how we live. Father, I pray we'd be reminded of the words that Paul has to write, that we would be encouraged with them today. That as we walk out these doors, that those of us that are Christ followers, we would see ourselves as instruments of your peace and grace. That God, you've called us not just to do some religious things and carry out religious exercises, but you've called us to believe and to stand on that belief and to daily, as we struggle and as we wrestle, to hold on to that which we believe. For the person that's here today that says, I want to follow Jesus, Lord, I pray that today they would be bold enough, just like those that prayed that day in Jerusalem, they would be bold enough to cry out and even come and let us know that this is a decision they desire to make. May we be your ambassadors today. Father, may we see the privilege it is to be your children. Be with us now as we walk out these doors. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.